Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today are Swim Swam aficionados and expert analysts. <laughs> Analysts. <laughs> Braden Keith. What did you just Jared call me? Anderson. <laughs> hey, I'm here. And today we are talking the 2021 season three ISL draft. party off with just overall impressions um we've we've seen other professional league sports drafts and obviously the isl is still in its in its infancy um so we we saw the draft it took place over two days um what what did you guys think of the pacing the presentation and overall did you think it was successful in doing what it what it was supposed to which was kind of evening out the teams and making it a more playing field heading into season three of isl i'm gonna go first and I know Jared wants to talk about Dave Salo, but that was the best moment of the draft. I know, I know that certain people in ISL management were probably losing their minds over that, um, but it was so good. It, it was exciting. It was drama. It highlights some of the things we've been saying about some of the lack of, shall we say, precision in a lot of the rules. Um, but overall, you know, day one was awful. I think... I think it was bad, and I think they know it was bad um, from, from talking to, to different people within different teams. I think they realized about 25 minutes in that it was moving way too slowly, um, and, and it was, you know, it was like watching the NFL draft, and you watch the seventh round, then you go to the sixth round, but then you go back to the seventh round at the end of two hours but you throw Caleb Dressel in there just randomly. That's what day one felt like to me. Day two was, was wild. It was fast. Um, I thought it was much easier to watch day two. I think they could have done a little ISL's issue continues to be lack of analysis, right? They, they just glaze over things. They talk about how amazing things is, are. They don't really talk about the details that a, a, a sports fan would want to know. Um, you know, the sports fans can look at it and say, oh, this is amazing. They can figure that out themselves. You, I don't think you're really telling them much there. Um, so that, that was still frustrating. I don't think they did enough. I don't think they did enough recapping on day two with how, how quickly it went. I thought they should have taken occasional breaks to sort of tell us, okay, these were the last 10 picks we saw. Tell us what's important. Um, but day two was much, much more fun to watch. There was more going on. There was more. Oh my God, that's, I, I can't believe Christian Diener was still available. There was a lot more of that sort of stuff that was, um, I thought, a lot more fun to watch. Jared, t- talk to us about Dave Salo. <laughs> well, I know we're going I, I to get into the whole the draft pick drama later. Um, but yeah, I was, I was standing for Dave Salo there because that was, that was very entertaining. I kind of agree. I think the draft had some good things going. I think they're on the right track with some things like the, the gemstones and the diamonds and stuff was kind of, it was hard to, hard to follow. I, it didn't tell me a lot, but I think it's on the right track. Um, again, trying to give some of that analysis, just to tell us where's a team strong, where's a team weak. Um, they're trying to give. It didn't really do that. Right. Like 
It didn't tell us whether they were male or female gemstones. You know, Zane Grothy gets the same gemstone as Caleb Dressel. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Exactly. And that's what I felt, too, is I think they're on the right track, but they probably needed to divide it up more by gender. They needed to spend a little more time with it, probably. Um, I agree that probably the biggest thing that would have helped me follow it is like a best available board. You know, even if they did it based on their gemstones, just that we know who is still sitting on the board. Because I know the three of us are following it, and all of a sudden it'd be like Dean or Christian Diener comes off the board, and we go, he's still, he was still out there? I, you wonder how many teams even knew that. Uh, and that kind of goes back to the just there was no consistent list of who was being drafted and who was out there that would have helped a lot. As so far I- though as, well, like parity goes, I mean, their big thing functionally was they wanted to, to have some more parity in the league and spread things out. I think that worked the way they gave some of those, the teams that finished low last year got so many picks before, you know, Cali and London and Energy got on the board even. So in that way, they probably helped themselves out. I don't know if it's still going to be a real unpredictable league but they probably took a step i think i think it worked to an extent um like you said i think giving those teams the early so many early picks helps but i think what they overestimated was how much impact the 15 returning swimmers was going to have and how much the lower level teams you know it, it appears as though a lot of tokyo's best swimmers aren't swimming this year we know that New York Breakers' best swimmer isn't swimming this year. So, like, some of the, I mean, besides the fact that some of those athletes' motivations will change based on, on the team, because we still know that being on a better team is worth way more money than being on the worst team. It's worth like 10 times as much money as being on the best team. Or being on the best team is worth 10 times as much as being on the worst team. You know, the New York Breakers losing their best swimmer and then still being able to retain 15, like, the, the New York Bakers probably got worse from last season. They probably have a worse team than they had last season, even though they're probably better than they would have been in an open recruitment. Does that make sense? So if, if we had done it the way we had done it before, they would have been even worse than this. But like, so they got better by the draft in a sense, but I don't know that it really created parity. I think the top four teams are still miles ahead of everybody else i don't think we're going to get a lot of competitive meets that was that and that was one really interesting thing is that the draft happened and and it's like okay everyone's you know things are kind of switched up but then you look at the rosters like the full rosters after the whole thing and it's like a lot like especially the top four teams it's like these teams look the same (laughs) yeah um because because as sports fans, you know, if, if the Lakers and the Knicks traded benches, you wouldn't notice, you know, like that, that's essentially what happened, right? Like you, you gave, you gave the, the Lakers bench to who was really terrible. Orlando, after they made that trade was really terrible. If you give the Lakers bench to Orlando, Orlando still isn't that good. Yeah. Because, and especially um, like we said, like Christian Diener, London got a lot of their, uh, their alums back, uh, which was, which was interesting. Yeah. I, we saw a lot of them go in early in the draft, but then they got a few really good picks back, but, um, yeah. Well, they had twice as many athletes, right? They, they, not, not twice, they had almost twice as big of a pool as anybody else. And again, this is, this is a first, an ongoing frustration with the league because we don't know who was allowed to be retained, who wasn't. Um, we don't know why, some swimmers, some of the Australians who were 
signed up tentatively for, t- you know, the New York Breakers picked Matt Temple. He was tentatively signed up for their team last year. So why couldn't they retain him? Why could London retain swimmers for tw- from 2019 and the Breakers couldn't retain a swimmer from 2020? I don't know. So, yeah. So, so overall, we think it's, it, it worked kind of. It, it, it did do what it was supposed to do in some sense. Um, obviously there's room to improve, but overall, yeah, it was, it was, it was all right. <laughs> For me, you've been talking to Mel too much Coleman. <laughs> you're trying to make, I think you're trying to make it sound better than it was. I hang out with Mel all the time. What do you want from me, Braden? Yeah. <laughs> overall, I liked it. It was entertaining. I think it could, yeah, it's got room to improve. So we're moving on to, to big wins and losses, and, and we'll start off with steals of the draft. Who, who just picked up a gym in, on day two, or I guess day one in the rookie pick, but that's, you know, it kind of the gym's pickup is expected. Who, who got the real steals in the draft? Go ahead, Jared. I had a couple. I mean, obviously, Tokyo had some ups and downs. Certainly, they had the highest highs and the lowest lows. Because as they were drafting, I thought every time they got their pick in, they really did well with it. It's just they took two picks and set them on fire. And they took most of their retainers and kind of set them on fire as well. So I thought uh, uh, Nandor Nemeth in the fifth round was really good out of Hungary. Um, and they had a couple more. They got, they got Mallory Comerford in the sixth round and, um, well, they got, they got no Ponty very late. And as we found out that was a value for a reason, because he's not going to be in the league. So again, I thought they had some steals and just, if they, if they wouldn't have missed on some of those big flubs, they'd have a pretty good team. Yeah, I think, I think that's a fair representation. They were doing really well and then kind of trailed off. I, I still don't know how I feel about their decision to, to only retain 10 athletes. Um, we'll have to see who they wind up signing. Um, I think DC, I think if there's one team that through this process, days one and two appreciably impacted their future, it's the DC Trident. And I think number one, because Caitlin Santino was the best thing on this draft. And I think that, I think that people are going to see her energy, get behind the team, you know, when it comes to recruitment, because we, there's, there's something that isn't talked about much, but there are, there's a split in this league where there were four teams that had a head start essentially because they had teams formed for a previous one meet iteration. And those are the four teams that you've seen dominate the league. That's LA, Cali, uh, Energy Standard and London. Um, and so the other teams in recruitment have fought an uphill battle, but I think getting Caitlin in front of people is going to, make that recruiting battle much easier. And I think they had a lot of great draft picks. I think getting Andreas Vizeos back after he went to London, because he willingly went to London and he went there the same reason anybody would do that because it was going to make him a lot more money. Um, And so them taking him back, he was one of the breakout stars in the first season. I think that was great. I think Ali Deleuf was a great pick. Um, She's been you know, she's maybe not the Duluth sister we talk about most when it comes to international meets, but she's been really good in this format. Um, you know, Frida, Frida, yeah, Anna Hopkins, Frida Osman being available that late. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when she, when they drafted her, I was like, oh, I didn't know she was still there. Their free relay, their men's free relay is going to be probably the best in the league. Um, I, I think DC. 
DC has probably jumped Tokyo. They're probably maybe ahead of Toronto. I think DC could be that fifth team. And then with Hoffer thrown in there, Hoffer is an instant game changer. So I think DC is the one team that really benefited big time from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. What are you looking at, Coleman? What are you looking at? I'm just looking at lists. <laughs> I'm trying to think of things to say. Hey, you know what I'm excited to see for the next few years if they can keep it together? David Popovici and Jacob Whittle uh, training together and racing together. If, if they had kept Matt Richards there, that it would have been even better. Um, but those two uh, sticking around and, and if, you know, there's no long-term contracts in the ISL, but if we assume that people tend to stick with the teams they sign with, that's kind of a fun thing to watch develop. Agreed. And I mean, we'll see how, I mean, now I'm super interested to see, well, what's next year going to look like? Is it going to be the same format with the draft or are they going to, I'm assuming they'll change it because they have every season, but um, it'll be interesting to see who stays on what team after this season. Um, because, yeah, for that reason, I mean, there's, that's, that is a great storyline. Uh, I have to say Bronta Campbell going in round 11, I think it was, yeah, round 11 to the LA Current was shocking to me. Um, I've been asked about this more than anything else, and I think there's a clear subtext here that the GMs know that a lot of the Australians and a lot of the Brits aren't going to swim the whole season. And so some of them are going to miss the regular season and GMs have made a calculation that that's fine. We can get to the playoff. They'll come for the playoff because uh, Boglarka Kapis. That's why she wasn't reserved. She's not swimming the regular season. The breakers may not be able to, to survive the regular season without her. However, she, who was she picked up by? She was picked up by London or yeah, energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. So they, Same they're going to have, guy. right. They're going to have no problem getting to the playoffs and then Coppish will show up and, and they'll proceed from there. So that's kind of a flaw in the format a little bit, but I think that's what happened with Bronte Campbell. I think, the GMs know and aren't saying that she's not going to be available for the entire season. And with the roster limits, that makes it a hard, a hard pickup. True. I definitely got suspicious of some of the later picks when I, I'd feel like they were a steal and I'd realize, okay, there's gotta be something going on here. They're not going to be available. And I think the youth side of things is interesting too, because yeah, when you talk about those young sprinters on New York, as far as we know, people are going to be on kind of two-year contracts early and then who knows after that. So that, you know, obviously makes it a little less valuable, but who knows the rules change all the time. So that could turn out to be an absolute steal if long-term contracts become a thing, you know, next week, who knows? I got a text from one coach uh, on Tuesday who said, I only worry about the rules I need to know today because (laughs) the rules that I need to know tomorrow might not be the rules anymore. That's that's very accurate. I would, I mean, I think I feel like that is a logical next step. Certainly, is to is to have long term contracts. But then again, I guess we have not been guaranteed future seasons. So this has got to be exhausting for the GMs re recruiting an entire team every year. That I mean, that's got to get old. Yeah, I mean that's that's a heavy lift for sure. Which, but until you can get athletes to commit, you know, if they're going to bounce in and out of the league every year, then it does. Then multi-year contracts don't work either. So they're going to have to be creative. Yeah, which again, I mean, I think the league will have to evolve if they want to see 
real progress there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that kind of trickles down to the GMs and the athletes and et cetera. Um, And so we've touched on the breakers in Tokyo forfeiting those picks. Um, But do you, what do you guys think of that rule specifically um, of, of, you know, forfeiting your picks or if you pick someone who's already been drafted, you guys touched on it. I think there needs to be a lot more, there needs to be like a big list, right? Of like who's right. available. I mean, that Correct. just needs to be the, the case. Right. And, and this was a good first shot at the ISL. If we view this as like, oh, this is the ISL's NFL draft. But, you know, it's not that it's not a professional league, but it's a league that is figuring things out as they go. And so um, if, they had, if they had brought in somebody from the NFL draft to run their draft, the person from the NFL draft will have pointed out that this is absolutely a risk and something that needs to happen, but they're, they're figuring out as they go, I guess to me, the frustrating part is that sometimes the errors were caught in real time and sometimes they were not. So if you're going to say you pick an ineligible swimmer, you forfeit your pick, then that should be consistent across the board. Of course, Seho did it at least three times. So maybe we say he got it. He got his chance. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was understandable mistakes. I mean, I get it. The three of us were following this thing in real time. And by the second day, it was moving so fast. I mean, we're just trying to keep the names on the sheet and update our live draft as fast as we can. I get that these guys who are doing it, you know, on their live broadcast are going to have trouble catching every mistake or every double count that comes through. But um, that was what I appreciated about Dave Salo jumping in when his pick came back up, because obviously he several times had, had drafted somebody that had already been drafted and uh, they caught him a couple of times. And the one time they let it run a whole round. And so he just lost his pick, um, you know, and he kind of jumped in and it was like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You got to make this right for me. Cause you, you told other people that their guy was selected and we lost the pick. Ultimately those late round picks might not mean a ton because some of them won't even be in the league. Some of them have decided to go NCAA. Um, but yeah, you know, you kind of look back and say, how hard would it have been to just have a, a Google doc that the entire league could see and have names coming up as it was going through? That seems like something they'll probably have to implement pretty, pretty soon in the future. Well, we, we have this for my, for my, I'm in a fantasy football keeper league and we've developed this just a bunch of guys with Google sheets have developed something where you can't bid on somebody who isn't in the pool like this, this, it's not, it's not hard. Um, I think in general, the league maybe could have done more to help their general managers. Um, another peek behind the curtain, a lot of these teams have a sort of quiet, I like to call them a nerd, but we could call them an analyst or an assistant general manager, because this is not, a lot of these people have other jobs. You know, the GMs aren't spending months pouring over the lists. Um, it became clear at the end of the draft that, you know, if you've got the 110th pick in the draft, you should have a list of names that is at least 110 long. Um, and it became clear by the end of the draft that some of the GMs didn't have a list that long. And there were some questionable late choices of, of athletes. So the GMs were probably going to pick up and free, you know, Caleb Dressel's sister. They were probably going to pick her up in free agency anyway, but they just said, yeah, we ran out of names. So we're just going to, we're going to pick this up. Um, I think it was clear which teams had those sort of assistant GMs and which teams were relying more on their coaching staff to do it because the coaches, again, 
they, they don't have months and months to dedicate to fully preparing for this draft. That is a very good point. I was interested in how different everybody's draft board was too, because early on the picks were just flying. It felt like everybody had their guys they wanted and mm -hmm. the one they wanted wasn't getting picked. Everybody had such a different order. And you saw that the one I thought was interesting was, uh, you know, Tokyo tried to take uh, Evgeny at Chickenova at, at number 65 overall. And she had gone, she'd already gone number nine overall to energy. Because so someone had a, a different value on, you know, her on the board. I wouldn't you love to see all of their, their boards next to each other and see how different they are. <laughs> or see how long they are. Cause some of them might be like 15 <laughs> swimmers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great point. And I, so that brings up the point of the pacing of the actual draft. You guys touched on that earlier as well. It's, it's like, I get why they did it straight through because they're like, well, everyone has 60 seconds or 90 seconds, whatever it was. And so if, if, you know, if you take breaks that gives people additional time, so they couldn't take the break for like, okay, this is what we've got so far. But I do think that definitely needs to be incorporated in the future. Um, and from the, from the stat sheet perspective or the list of names, it's like, you know, they were naming athletes and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to spell their name, but it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with this athlete. I don't know who they are. And I couldn't find them for a while. So Jared props to you. Cause I was keeping up with your recap to try to keep up with my recap. But I mean, I think, yeah, there, there definitely needs to be visual aids and I think they need to they, they could do a better job at pacing in the future of okay we're going to do round or like the first three rounds or the first two rounds whatever and then analyze and then go uh, back if I'm king of ISL and they never ask my opinion but I think they read my opinions so ISL <laughs> if you're watching I would have I would have gotten through those first 15 on day one real quick. I actually would have done that ahead of time. Yeah. I would have yeah. told all the GMs, you know, even if you want to reveal it on that day, fine. But that whole process would have been done so the GMs could prepare. And then I would have gone into the first four or five rounds where you're still, this is what the NFL does, where you're still in athletes that people have mostly heard of and are, are at least passingly familiar with. And that would have been a day. And then I would have gone to the later rounds. I think you would have gotten better picks. I think you would have gotten better analysis. Um, you could have regrouped as a, as a production. You could have regrouped and said, um, now we can actually identify the holes on this team and, and, and point out, oh, they only had one male breaststroker. Now they have two. You know, I just think in, in total, every, as Jared pointed out, everybody seemed well prepared, you know, except for the breakers who missed a, four, a forfeit on a fourth round pick. Everybody seemed well prepared for the first four or five rounds. And then the wheels started to come off the bus a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, Jared, do you, do you have any thoughts on, yeah, pacing or how, how that format could just be tightened up a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think some analysis breaks would have been nice in there. You really saw it between day one and two because day one, the picks came through. And right at the beginning, we kind of had a, a bit of a surprise. I think most of us expected Ryan Hoffer to probably go first. And maybe we're a little more tuned into NCAA. We're a little more U.S.-centric sometimes. But, um, yeah, so Aqua comes out right away and gets Arno Kaminga, who they already have a very strong restaurant group. And they didn't get to really address that as a storyline until the next day when they came back in and, 
know, they were doing it on the broadcast. That would have been something that I think would have been uh, fun to have in real time and sort of let's have like two, three minutes after that pick to discuss and to look at it. Because in hindsight, I don't think it's that bad of a pick. Uh, looking at, they have two good breaststrokers, but one, you know, Fabio Scasoli is very old. Um, you know, so Kaminga comes in and can kind of take over that spot long term. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that just would have been nice to have a little bit more time to break down, I think. I mean, was I the only one who felt like there wasn't an absolute, but that there was a clear um, bias by the, the selectors to their home continents? Like the Europeans had a clear preference for Europeans. The Americans, you know, Tokyo's head coach, Dave Salo, is an American. There were pre- clear preferences to choose Americans by people familiar with Americans. But again, that goes back to I, I, I don't know if there was enough support, preparation, whatever needed to happen for people to go as deeply into this as they really should have. I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think Arno Kaminga was an awful pick but I think it was clearly the second best choice for Aqua. Like, I, I'm not saying that he should have been their fourth or fifth option. I think it would, if Hoffer weren't on the board, sure, take Arno. But to me, it was, it's so clear how much better of a pick Hoffer was than Arno. That just says to me that maybe the Italian coach doesn't follow NCAA and missed it. I, you know, I don't know what happened there. I'd, I'd love to get him on um, and, and try to get him to explain that because that, that pick didn't make sense to me. If you put Sabo and Hoffer together, all of a sudden you've got something there. You know, what, can, what does Kaminga do? He gets you a little more in the, the, the 200 breaststroke. Maybe he's a small upgrade in the medley relays, but he, you know, he impacts three events substantially. Hoffer impacts six or seven events substantially. Yeah, I, I think Kaminga could be very good at the skins as well with how good he is at all ranges of breaststroke. But, I mean, the other advantage we should talk about with Aqua is that they essentially got two high rookie picks because they got to, they got to retain uh, Thomas Sechan, who was, has no affiliation with the ISL, right. was not on a roster, kind of does what Hoffer does in a lot of ways, sprints everything. Um, so it's kind of like they got their, they got their Hoffer pick early and they got a second really good rookie which is why I felt they kind of crushed the draft but those guys dominate the league I don't think you can have too many of those guys true I'm uh, yeah I am really curious to see how how big of an impact Hoffer will have in the ISL period because we've seen him have success in the NCAA obviously Um, he's a good in-season swimmer and obviously on tapers, he's good. So it, it'll be interesting to see what his transition to pro will be like and, and if he can kind of have that maintain success over time. Um, I think. Well, it depends on if he decides that the ISL is his future or if he you know, wants to keep hope alive about making the Paris Olympic team and et cetera. I think if he, if he, wa- why did he, sh- he would be a great candidate to go down to San Diego and train with the Andrews just to go full in for ISL, train hard six months a year, take it easy for six months a year. That would be the life. That seems like a good life to me. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely do that. Um, so moving into free agency uh, in our last 10 minutes, do any, any initial thoughts on, on what teams are going to look like here, what teams are going to be looking for, 
uh, other than the Tokyo Frog Kings filling out half their roster. Jared, you go while I pull up my free agency list. Yeah. Well, I, you know, all the names I had are just such question marks because there are a ton of good Australians who are on the early list and didn't get drafted. To me, that says they're probably not swimming ISL. But if they're out there, I mean, I, Alex Graham was not selected and should be great. I mean, 200 free, and especially with the new rules and the 400 free scoring. Um, like Lanny Pallister, Tamsin Cook, Thomas Neal, uh, Zach Stubblebee Cook. I don't think any of them were drafted. They'd all be very good. To me, that suggests they're probably not swimming, but maybe they're like a, that mercenary you bring in for the finals, you know? like Especially Stubblebee Cook, who just went the second fastest time ever in the 200 long course breaststroke. <laughs> it's like, how did, yeah, I mean, unless the GMs know, oh, he's not swimming for whatever reason. It's like, how do you not pick that guy? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Andy Miraz, who's been having a great year, but we know she's talking about going to med school. Um, I think the one area of value that when the GMs really step back and take a look that they haven't considered yet is the 400 freestylers. Because I think in prior years, that's been treated like almost an afterthought for a lot of teams. They just kind of force whatever I am or a 200 freestyler into that event they can. But with the ramped up points now, there's a, a new format where you can pick up points at the splits. Um, and, and just kind of looking through the list of who's available, I think that there are some opportunities when coaches do a hard analysis um, to pick up some swimmers who could be good at that. So I think that's a big opportunity. Um, you know, there's some, ad, ad, there's some veterans, Adam Talegi, Abby Harkin, who I think will, uh, uh, Adam Talegi and, and Bogwalker Kapish are a couple. So I assume that they're going together to energy standard eventually. Um, but, you know, there's a few a few league veterans that have shown that they're better than replacement. You know, we have the, a term in baseball called wins against replacement, and it, it basically shows how much better or worse an aver- a player is than the average. And so I think there's a few upgrades. Imogen Clark, if she's swimming the season, Jacob Heitman. I think there's a few just – they're not going to appreciably change anybody's outcome, but it could be the difference between – Cali versus London versus energy and what order that goes. But I think what you see is, is I think you can make the one to 10 order right now and be pretty close. Yeah. And you know, the biggest thing we'll probably see in free agency is some swimmers are, who were drafted are going to opt out or have already opted out and they didn't realize it. So, you know, teams would be scrambling to just fill that spot. If a breaststroke drops out, they need to go get another one. Um, and then you've got to see one or two who decide they would like to join the league late and didn't register. And I just wonder what ISL will do about that. If it's a big enough name, you know, would they allow them in or are they going to hold fast and say, Nope, you missed the deadline. Wait till next year. I'll say this. If that doesn't happen, then that will be a sign that the ISL is starting to figure out where some of their problems are, because I, I, I will be more surprised if that doesn't happen than if it does happen. I expect that to happen at some point. I mean, we've already seen that in part happen with Benedetta Pilato, right? With the 18 and Summer McIntosh and the other, yeah, there, uh, David Popovici. There's a lot of 18 and unders that we didn't know were registered until they were drafted. So that, yeah. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. And that's the They'll last- probably institute like an under 37 rule, right? 
<laughs> so that's the last thing is that, you know, IS, season three obviously has a lot of new rules. So I want to touch on a couple of those, starting with the, that 400 free rule. There's bonus points for being out first at the 100 in the 400 free. And then obviously, you can, which you can jackpot. And then obviously at, at the 400 again. And as Braden mentioned, we kind of saw people looking a little more towards distance swimmers, I think probably because of that rule. Do you think that's actually going to play a big impact in, 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 the, in the makeup of the league though? Well, Barry Revson pointed out, I wish that they had done that rule slightly differently um, because how it works now is if you get jackpotted at the end, you don't get your intermediate points jackpotted. They just slide everybody up on the intermediate. And I would love to see that eliminated where teams could strategize, you know, maybe I put my 100 freestyler in this, get those intermediate points, understand that his jackpot points at the end will be taken. I don't know. To me, that would have made it a little more interesting and slightly less confusing. It would still be a little confusing, I think, but it would be slightly less confusing. Um, I, I think that will be a short-lived rule because I think people's heads are going to explode when they try to follow what just happened. It's going to be a lot of ISL stuff where it's like, Ooh, watch the magic, watch the magic. And then at the end, they tell you what happened. <laughs> yeah. Like don't I, know mean, I like it as a concept. <laughs> In, in theory, I think, you know, how you do it is you'd have two good 400 freestylers or two good 400 IMers who kind of play off each other. One takes the pace out a little bit to try and get the points, and then the other one tries to pass everybody and win, which is cool. It'd be fun to see some strategy like that within the race, but you're right, it's probably too easy to game and say, okay, we're just going to throw in somebody who's not a 400 freestyler or, you know, go a little bit too wild. I but don't I want that to happen. I want I to see Zach Apple swim a 400 free. <laughs> yeah, but he'd miss the cutoff though, right? If he went out so fast, the cutoff times aren't that. I mean, they're pretty fast that it'd be hard to go out really fast in a hundred and still make the cutoff. So I don't see it impacting a lot. It's not like they're scoring at skins level in the 400s. They kind of hit the medium. So a regular race is 37, a skins race is 85. And then these 400s are 53. So I don't think it's like, adding another skins. And I don't know that it'll affect a whole lot as far as team finish. What did we see last year? The, it, the skins had a lot more jackpotting than the distance races, right? Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this will rebalance that and we'll see more jackpots in the 400 free, because when you, when you calculate the gaps by percentages on a distance race, the percentage just becomes huge. It's like 10 or 12 or 14 seconds. So maybe this will, force more jackpots i would love to see zach apple die and miss the cup there's nothing we love more in swimming than watching a sprinter try a distance event and watch them die <laughs> see i think i'd rather see a just like a gutsy 400 guy like townley townley haas just go out in the 400 get the, the points and then see if he can hold on and he's a guy that maybe could and that that's some drama i think that would be kind of fun that's true i'll, I'll give you that that would also be fun to watch if only 2019 NCAAs had jackpot points. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been epic. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we're, we're down to our last two minutes. Any, any final thoughts on this ISL draft or the upcoming season three, which starts in, I don't know, eight weeks. Does it really? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> wow. End of August. 
I, you know, I think the medley rule is the medley relay rule is going to be interesting now that it's not just winning the medley to pick the skins. You have to have the highest average finish that it kind of is a step backwards in terms of making it very easy to understand and see visually. But functionally, I like it because it does mean you have to have some depth. And, you know, when you have two good breaststrokers now, like Aqua does, that is actually a bigger boost. So we'll see how easy they make that to understand. And if that's a lot of work for us covering these things live, too. <laughs> I'm glad you understand that rule, Jared, because I don't and I have no interest in covering it. So I'm assigning that to you. Um, I don't know. I just I. I'm more focused right now on seeing improvements in the structure of the league. You know, the, I think the, the show will be similar to what we've see, we saw last year, which was really good. That's always been the strength of this league is putting on a show with the placement tails, blah, blah, blah. But I think season three, we're getting past the point where I think even at the end of season two, we saw we're getting past the point where that was something people would, would go gaga for. And now you've got to start to fix the other things. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.